Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin Hahnemann, the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. We're in the beverage space today. You're going to love the brand we've got on. I mean, and most of you probably know Langer's Juice. Like, You've seen it in store, and I mean, you're going to hear the whole story about where this brand came from today on the podcast. Is Bruce Langer, um, obviously part of the family, president of Langer Juice Company. Bruce, so great to have you on the podcast. Justin, good to have, uh, good to be with you today. I'm so glad you're here. I was really excited to see you, to meet you, to to talk about your brand. Uh, and I had just a fascinating time researching your family and and understanding kind of your roots. And I can't wait to unpack that a bit for our audience. Um, and we're going to get to all that plus product and of course, route to market and some of your biggest lessons learned as we always do. So let's do this, Bruce. How about share with our audience, you know, rewind the clock from uh, for us and help us understand where the brand came from. Sure. So my, my parents uh, immigrated from uh, Poland uh, right after World War II. Um, they they came from a very healthy background because um, pre-war Europe, um, the products were very natural and not um, highly processed foods. Um, so uh, when they came here and settled in, um, they started with uh, fresh squeezed carrot juice. And that's, that's juice. the origin okay. of the company. Wow. Okay. And I mean, this is a big deal, right? I mean, leaving Germany at that time and starting a brand, right? And out of a winery and and whatnot, right? There was a little bit of wine in the background as as well before? Right, right. My dad's uh, family uh, in Poland had a winery, so he had the uh, food and beverage background. Um, And uh, um, they didn't really choose to to leave they they lived through the the holocaust in in europe and then and then came to the united states united states which is a great place to be and it's probably you know one one of the few places in the world where you can really start a business like this and and grow it to to the point where they did wow amazing so started with carrot juice fast forwarding a bit um talk about how how and when you and David got involved in the business, and like, what did that look like early days? Like, where where was the business then? Well, it was it was uh, primarily in nutritional stores, uh, primarily in, in in the Southern California area. Um, David started. You worked through high school. I I joined after law school, um, and then the business really transformed when we innovated. Um, outside of glass bottles into PET. Um, so so the world kind of at the end of the uh, 1980s, early 90s, really just was glass um, uh, in, the, in the juice aisle. Um, everything started to migrate a little bit more towards plastic. Um, when I started, I noticed that in water um, and then, then technology developed to be able to do hot fill PET bottles. And I thought, well, this, this could be interesting. It's a little safer. It's, it's lighter. If, you know, if it drops in the kitchen, um, then, um, no one's going to get hurt. Um, so we were one of the first to be in, to, to produce juice in PET bottles. Um, we first did that with apple juice and, uh, I took it around to all the supermarkets 
And um, it was just kind of a new concept. And one of them accepted it. And, and very quickly uh, thereafter, we became the number one apple juice in Southern California. Unbelievable. Amazing. Um, we've covered, of course, um, packaging, different types of packaging on our, our show in the past. We've talked about hot fill um, before with certain beverage lines. It's been a little bit. So share with our audience, just sort of a quick reminder for those that may be new to our show. Why do you fill product hot, in the, especially in the juice category? Yes. So we do not use preservatives. Um, so the way the, the product stays shelf stable is through pasteurization. So the juice is heated, uh, the container has to withstand the heat, and then it's capped. Uh, and once it's capped, that process of pasteurization is complete. Uh, and then we cool it as quickly as we can to the lowest point possible so that the juice doesn't have a, uh, a cooked taste. And that's a very important process uh, that, that we go through. Yeah, no doubt. Um, okay, so shifted over to PET from glass bottle. Um, and so that transformed how you went to market, probably also reduced some of your shipping weights and you know just the process of, and cost maybe even that go into making the product. Did it change your either route to market or exposure in retail or give you more options in terms of putting new types of juices together? What did it look like in terms of, you know, how did the packaging help enable that? Enabled it because the, because consumers really liked it. Uh, in, in the beginning, it was actually more expensive because it was new technology. Uh, labeling PT bottles was also something very new and very slow. But but our feeling was that we wanted. So we were again in in, in primarily in health food stores. We really wanted to enter the supermarket business. Um, we needed a point of difference. There were five major apple juice brands in Southern California at the time. Um, so it did not um, make sense to do the same thing as everyone else. Sure. Um, and uh, so it was something that the consumers really liked. And then um, right after that, gallon bottles, which I don't know if you remember, there was you know, big gallon bottles with the right. little, little hole. Well, those yep. were <laughs> those were very dangerous and stores, you know, wanted to wanted to have. Uh, end displays of gallons of cider uh, glass, but right. not very stable. And so we right. entered that in gallons as well. Wow. Amazing. Um, and how did you decide like what new categories of, or not even categories, maybe flavors, or is that what you call like, juice flavors and whatnot to get into? And how did that change over time? We did a mix of more traditional flavors like apple and cranberry juice cocktail and, and grape, um, as well as, you know, our history was with carrot juice, and then um, some of my dad's original flavors in, in bottles was pineapple coconut, which we still sell oh, wow. today. Okay, Very delicious. Um, sounds and amazing. apple boysenberry. <laughs> yeah, so we, had, we, we always had this history of very innovative flavors and then mainstream. Um, and as the business progressed, uh, we've, we've gone into more and more of kind of the innovative flavors that... Um, consumers really are gravitating towards, for example, um, mango. We do, we have a wide variety of, of mango juices. In fact, we sell our mango nectar, um, globally. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. I was, that's what I was going to ask you is also how has the market shifted? So, you know, obviously, uh, packaging is an area where you should see not only in your beverage category, but others as well, uh, a shift. How have, have, have consumer trends changed and how have you followed some of those trends and how, and also on the retail side of some of how retailers operated changed or is it pretty consistent? I think everyone has gone a little, um, more international. Um, I'll give an example. So we have a segment called our tropical blends and our number one 
tropical blend when we first launched this about 20 years ago was kiwi strawberry. Um, and then we had a, um, a mango blend that we call Mongo Mango. And that was kind of on the bottom of that list. Now it's number one. So consumers wow. are really enjoying tropical juices. We have a Mongo Mango, we have a pineapple orange guava, a passion fruit blend. And that's really where we see the consumer going. Fascinating. Interesting to see that shift. And is it by market or is it across markets where you've seen some of the different flavor shifts or flavor preference? Completely across the market and across the world. Sure. And then does that change and you know how you do forecasting, how you do planning, how do you think about innovation, right? New flavors and mixes and whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. Because we see this as a continuing continuing trend. You see this in in uh, alcohol-based mixes, uh, RTDs. Uh, it's really just uh, across the board. And we've, we've really been on the forefront of that. Fascinating. Um, and then, okay, so you guys got involved in the business early. How has the team, has the team that you all work with and that supports you and is part of your organization shifted and evolved over time? Has it been pretty consistent kind of growing up with the family? What does that look like for you guys? We have many, many people on our team that have been here as long as I have, um, and many that have been here 20, 25 years. Wow. Um, it's major longevity. So my name, <laughs> we have a lot of longevity, um, speaks well for the team. Um, but my, my name's on the label, but many, many of our team members, they treat the product as if their name is on the label. Love that. And it speaks to the culture you guys have built too. I mean, for people to stick around and be part of it over time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Very, very, very important. I think, you know, and, and, and my, my dad ran the company this way as well. It's not dictatorial. It's not top down. It is really, um, it's really just a collective. It's, it's, it's a team. We're, we're doing this all together. Um, and we're really, we're doing it for the product and we're doing it for the consumer. There's no, there's no ego. It's, it's really about what's best for the product. I love that. You, um, last couple of years, obviously, we had a lot of ups and downs in supply chain, supply shortages, input uh, material shortages, including for PET, including aluminum, glass bottle, in different categories and whatnot. Uh, did you guys see any of that? or And how did you adjust for that? Um, just sort of, you know, thinking about kind of some of the supply interruptions? Well, there are parts in many months that that's kind of all we did was, was to chase. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> was to chase what, was, <laughs> what was forecasted and then disappointed and have to adjust and but what's important is really to communicate to um our customers and right. uh, what what it, what is going on um you know the standard things that you mentioned are are you know we've all lived that we've you know all heard about the containers you know being held up at the at the harbor um Something that we've experienced from from the beginning is is every year some crops are do do historically well and some do historically not as well. So we're used to that to to adjusting to supply. Got it. And then in those cases, do you find other alternative sources of supply, or do you just make less product and shift to take more of the category with other flavors? It, it, it's a combination of that. Um, we always try to be very diverse in our supply team. Um, we have many suppliers that have been with us for decades. Um, so we, we try to diversify in terms of, uh, of growers. And then it's some, some, sometimes where just, you know, the crop globally is, is not as successful, uh, as plentiful as in previous years, 
we have a very wide range of juices that that we bottle and market. So if something um, is high in a particular year, we make it up with others. Got it. Makes sense. Um, I, I always love to ask our guests like some of the things that haven't worked out. Any flavors you guys launched that were like that nobody it just it did not work, or you know areas that you've gone into and that was you know a, a, a poor decision. Anything like that you can think of that? And I, you've been there. You've been in this business for a while. I'm sure some things have been very successful and others have not. Anything you'd share with our audience in terms of some of your lessons learned from things that didn't work? Yeah, I would love to. I, I, I would love to be able to report to you that every decision I've ever made. <laughs> Right. Uh, has been uh, a home run, <laughs> yeah. But yes, that does. So, so um, a couple of years ago, came out with a um, a jalapeno lime, um, which I thought was going to be great. Everyone in the lab and, and, and the plant, they, they they loved it, and for some reason, it wasn't successful. <laughs> um, so, so that was a failure. But, but, but we've we, we're now launching something that is somewhat similar, but I hope with a different result which is a mango chamoy. So kind of Ooh. same idea, um, but a different taste profile. So you gotta got take, it. you have to take all those lessons and run away. Right, of course. Um, on the flip side, I, I would love to ask our guests, what are some of the biggest, you know, what's the coaching advice you give to other leaders? You've got a lot of listeners through the show that have launched and are launching new beverage brands, new food brands, um, are in mid-stage of growth and whatnot. Like what are a couple of things and you think about uh, entrepreneurs out there that you'd offer to them in terms of advice? I think the number one thing is to listen, um, listen to, listen to, to customers and, and, and consumers. Um, so, you know, a, a small business, medium sized business, we're, we're working with supermarkets and retailers that are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times larger than we are. And of course we compete with companies that are hundreds of times larger than we are. So I think, I think the key is to be able to say yes to a supermarket chain and figure out by listening to what's really important to them, um, how to make this a win-win and sustainable and, 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 and scalable. Sure. Love that. So it's great advice. Um, and, and yeah, it starts with listening, right? Um, and so great to talk to you and excited for, I mean, you got an amazing brand and, um, so cool to see just the legacy of your brand and the impact you are making in the market. Um, I, I, I'm guessing our audience can find your product in most major grocery chains. Um, would you want to share where our product, where our audience can find you, connect with you, and whatnot? Yeah, so so supermarkets across the country. Uh, we're in club stores. We're in mass. Um, we're in uh, convenience. Um, you can find us also on shoplangers.com. Uh, we try to be everywhere, so consumers can shop wherever they want and, and enjoy our, our juices. Yeah, I love the product and the labeling is awesome. I love your tagline. It's in the juice. Um, so great having you with us, Bruce. Um, and look forward to staying in touch, having you guys back on down the road. Really cool brand and excited for where you are and like the potential and where, where you're going and how you're thinking about reinvention and innovation over time, right? So that you can be on the leading edge with consumer tastes and preference changes. So, so great to have you with us and look forward to having you back on. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for, for having me on the show. The Contender Cast is powered by Contender Brands and is the top global consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast. You can find additional ContenderCast episodes on worldwide podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, 
connect with us at contendercast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.